I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. <laughs> yo, yo, this is shit to bring Bushwick I back. Torture all these rappers on some bush shit. Iraq, five stacks as you get devoured by my fly trap. I'm so dope, you can find crackle in my spine tap. Beyond that, I'm like a candle to raw. First person talking slick, catch a mandible claw. Package it raw. Y'all wasn't spitting enough. Gripping the pump since Pippin could dunk. I'm just a rhythmless pump. Still, I'm spitting like a fully automatic. Handle any bastard or a bully wanting static. Hardest on the planet. Harder than some granite. I don't want synthetic, smoking all organic. <laughs> hey, yo! Hey, what's up? I am Dope Knife. I am Lila Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Hurry up! I'm hot! Woo! What's good with you? Now that no, you first. I, yeah, no, I've you first. Doing, I've been doing mad interviews, yo. Like, I'm, I've got this song that I've been telling y'all about what's coming out on Friday and yeah. it's called So 912 and I'm really excited about it. It's like my Savannah hometown song. So in preparation, I have been doing a lot of interviews. Um, I Excellent. did a podcast called The Riff the other night mm-hmm. and I um, did my homie Tayamu Denku who's a rapper from uh, Milwaukee. I did his podcast The Taking Apart the Passion podcast. It's been it's been fun, yeah. I've just I think I think I'm starting to to get kind of like an interview character down intact. So is how similar to to your rap character like on stage? Is it, I mean, I feel like you're pretty much the same person, but and, uh, it, it, I think it's it's a yeah. I think I think my interview when I say interview character, I guess I just mean you know I feel like I feel like a lot more open when I'm asking people questions but when i'm getting interviewed i I feel like i've I've been kind of stiff in the past but now i'm just opening up and telling 
you know, jokes that I tell when I have regular conversations with, with people. So I, I feel that they I feel they went well. In any event, I just like got off of an hour long conversation about like my bio and stuff like that. So I'm feeling really loosey goosey. Oh, so you loosened up? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm loose. I'm ready to talk. I'm All ready. Right. I'm ready to talk oh, that right. shit. Yeah, let's talk that shit. So today we're going to talk about the legal concept of self-defense, which is being invoked in several um, high-profile trials right now. Um, the McMichael family has claimed self-defense no in the murder case of Ahmad Arbery, which is taking place in South Georgia this week. Um, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, also invoked self-defense for the killing of two BLM protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin last summer during his trial that has been going on. It's actually wrapping up this week. But... When are black people allowed to invoke self-defense, if at all? This week, we'll discuss highlights from both trials. Highlights from (laughs) this week, we'll discuss highlights from both trials, their implications, as well as some lesser known legal cases of self-defense in the world of hip hop. Just to recap, what are your thoughts generally on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial? Last time that we talked about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial directly on this show, I think it had to have been a year ago. At this point, probably, um, I mean, probably right after it happened. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe even over. So, I mean, the last time that we delved into this case, I mean, they still thought that a flaming object was thrown at him. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So what, I what think are your general he, thoughts on it now? Yeah, I think he came up last. Uh, it was October 21st of last year is um, when we had our guns episode. Okay, and we talked yeah. a little bit about Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, I think, I mean, the most... The, the, the catchier headlines, I guess, that have drawn my eye over the course of this trial have pertained to the improprieties of the judge, who is very clearly skewed in favor of Rittenhouse. Anything from allowing him to draw the pieces of paper on which were written the juror's name to determine who would actually partake in the like uh, verdict deciding proceedings. I'm sure there's a technical term for that. I don't care. Didn't the nigga's phone go off and it was the Trump campaign? Well, that was the lawyer. That was, I mean, that was also like egregious. Um, The judge had the jury clap for one of the uh, witnesses for the defense because he was a veteran and it was Veterans Day. Um, And going all the way back to when they were deciding what, um, what evidence was or what, you know, what was allowed in the courtroom. Um, uh, declaring that the people Rittenhouse killed uh, were not allowed to be called victims, but yeah. were allowed to be called rioters and, rioters and looters if the defense could present evidence that that was true. So, so pretty much the judges turned this case into a farce. Pretty much. Effectively. And I mean, the thing is, the thing that makes it so striking is that the Ahmad Arbery case is going on simultaneously. So, which I have heard conspiracy theories that that is on purpose. Like, what do you mean? How because so? most people are talking about the Rittenhouse trial. Um, the Ahmad Arbery trial is not receiving the same level of public scrutiny. And that will make it the if, if the McMichaels and their friend get off. Oh. Um, sorry, I got spooked because Paul just fucking came out of nowhere. If the McMichaels and their friend get off, then there won't be as much hullabaloo because people will not have noticed because they wouldn't weren't following it. Uh, 
I mean, I don't believe it, but I mean, I, I think I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's coordinated, but I think I might have to play a little bit of devil's advocate just in that point. Not that you were making that point, but the Kyle Rittenhouse case is more ambiguous and nuanced, and there's a lot of more moving pieces in it, which is why I think it's a bigger story. Just, just from like a pure like what drives ratings and what drives eyeballs to click on stuff something that's a more you know just kind of dark and macabre but something that seems like it's more of a coin toss is gonna be more exciting for people to consume like as a news story i think with with the people with what people do know about the ahmaud arbery case i mean and who knows people may be shocked <laughs> Some people may be shocked if those guys get off, but I think everyone is more or less expecting those guys to go down. We will see. And therefore, I, I think that's why it's it might not be. But you know, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse case is like a, a young white kid that's you know maybe that's that's what's attracting the eyeballs. But I don't know. Um, I do know that that striking comparison is going to make it that. If those two outcomes, if the outcomes that at least I expect are going to happen, which is that Rittenhouse walks and the McMichaels go down, I think that it's going to, I don't know, it's going to, it's going to cause like a, I don't even know what it's going to cause, but I just know there's not going to really be any sort of way that you can look at the Rittenhouse trial coming out of that and think that it just isn't you know, tarred with like shenanigans and fuckery because of what the judges do. Effectively. But yeah, we'll get into all that and more after the jump. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? 
Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, we're back. And for those who have not been obsessively watching the news over the last two weeks, closing arguments were heard Monday for the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, um, who at 17 years old on August 25th, 2020, crossed state lines with an illegal firearm to take the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, during the protests against the shooting of Jacob Blake by a police officer days earlier. Using an AR-15 type rifle, he killed Joseph Rosenbaum, 36, Anthony Huber, 26, and wounded Gage Grosskreutz, 27, during the street demonstrations. Rittenhouse is now 18 and has been charged with five felony counts and a misdemeanor weapons charge that I think has subsequently been dropped. Yeah, this judge. There's like a loophole. Da, 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 da. But uh, the felonies include one count of first degree reckless homicide, two counts of first degree recklessly endangering safety, and two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, saying that he, on purpose, tried to kill, or no, did kill um, Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum. Um, so if convicted of the homicide charges, if convicted of the homicide charges, Rittenhouse will spend the rest of his life in prison. Now, Rittenhouse claimed that he was there as a medic to protect stores from looters. Interestingly enough, the little punk-ass bitch medic did not attempt to render any aid to the people he claims he shot in self-defense. The video presented in the trial shows the bystanders rendering aid to Rosebaum after he was shot in the head by Rittenhouse. Uh, he then ran away after he shot Grosskreutz in the arm. A live stream captures Grosskreutz yelling for a medic, but the clip shows Rittenhouse walking away from the scene as an armored vehicle drives by him and people nearby yell, he shot them. At the trial, he also admitted that he falsely claimed to be a certified EMT the night of the shooting. But his legal team is claiming self-defense. Um, his uh, lawyer, John Pierce, stated in a video posted to Twitter last year, if this is not self-defense for Kyle Rittenhouse under these circumstances, then no one can protect themselves. No one can protect their family and no one can protect their country, now, so um, which I just think has so many implications to it. Okay, like, we all know that's, that's, like, typical fucking NRA gun jargon talk. So we all know that's bullshit. The thing that I kind of want to, like, think about is, like, I think that the wrong argument to have about the Kyle Ritt, or not even the wrong argument to have, because the case is about self-defense. But in terms of 
what we want to point out. I think we should be attacking more the idea of why he was there in the first place. You know, and 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 because at the end of the day, somebody did. You know, at the end of the day, people did come at him. So it's like, even though I think that he's guilty or whatever, I think we can all like be adults. We can all understand that. You know, this is a jury, the judge fucking around, Wisconsin, one black juror, all that shit. We can pretty much guess that he's gonna get off, right? Presumably. So, like, why? I mean, I don't even understand if there's any like even like legal direction that you can go, but I just don't understand like why that wasn't uh, a focus of the case. It's like, why is a fucking 17 year old run walking around with a gun? Why is he going into like a crowd of people with a gun? What I think is interesting about this quote from um, John Pierce is he says, no one can protect themselves, no one can protect their family. And when I think about just the phrase Black Lives Matter in this context, um, and you know, particularly in, in, in the context of some of the cases we'll look at later, um, that you, if you are no one to this country, then no, you cannot protect yourself. If this country regards you as a nobody, no, you cannot connect to protect your family. And that's effectively what oftentimes is the case for Black people. Um, think about, for example, in the case of Breonna Taylor, um, who's, you know, had his boyfriend had their house broken into um, by unannounced intruders who happened to be plainclothes police officers. And despite being a licensed gun owner who just thought someone was breaking in and shot at them, Walker was charged with attempted murder of a police officer because his life, I mean, like, you know, we say Breonna Taylor's name, but his life didn't matter either. He was no one. So no, he could not protect his family. And no, he could not protect his home. Um, so I feel like it's like what he's kind of, like that aspect of what he's saying it kind of rings true. It's like, but not in the way he means. And that it has different implications for like who actually is allowed self-defense in the country. Now, the, the thing about the Rittenhouse case, do you do you think that the Rittenhouse case is more of an issue of race and less of an issue of politics? I think it is more an issue of politics. Because, um, I mean, some people are under the impression that Kyle Rittenhouse went out and shot a bunch of black people and he didn't. No, he did not. Like he shot. Three but if you guys. are if you are in defense of black lives, if you are, you know, um, antagonistic to white supremacy, um, you are also a second class citizen. Your life doesn't matter either. That's why I think so many um, Republican state legislatures have tried to or successfully advance legislation to pretty much legalize um, vehicular homicide in the case of protesters blocking the streets and acts of civil disobedience. Yeah. Like if you side with these folks that we have deemed disposable, you're disposable too. Yeah. But and, I mean, I guess, I, I guess that's, yeah, it's right. Because I just, I, I don't know. Is that, is that like a political or is that, is that like a, or wrongs racialized? Cause like something, something in me tells me that if Kyle Rittenhouse was like a Candace Owens type, Trump supporter mm -hmm. that the right would still be galvanizing around them in in the sense of like you, you killed our enemy our perceived enemy so we love you mm -hmm. and I think I, you know, I, I feel like that I feel like that's the you know I feel like the Kyle Rittenhouse case has 
more of a connection with the killing of what was his name? Michael Rhino. Yeah. In Portland. You yeah. know, it, it feels it feels like a very politically motivated situation. You know, the judge, the the judge, the defense lawyers, they feel like it's it feels like it's part of like a MAGA movement thing. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. That that's I mean, that's the that's the aspect of it that's got me scared because it's like, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse getting on or getting, you know, if if he's found not guilty, this is gonna just like with the 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 you know running over protest things. This is like the new template for how to deal with these things now. I mean, I think what you're getting at reminds me a lot of what Michelle Alexander said, the new Jim Crow, about the collateral damage of the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration. That effectively, if continued subjugation of people of color requires sweeping some working class whites up into the same web, then fine. That that collateral damage is totally acceptable because white supremacy is so critical to uphold. And so I see a parallel here in that I think, yes, what you're saying about it being political left and right, et cetera, um, is salient. Not that the racial aspect isn't like irrelevant. I, I, I just declare Yeah, it's that. just like this. It's once again the criminal justice system saying like, if yeah if you come in defense of black lives you are also disposable if you are a black person you are disposable if you are fighting fascism like uh michael reinhold um which inherently means standing up for like marginalized peoples even if you weren't necessarily in um i don't know like physically defending someone's life but ideologically are aligned with that struggle you are disposable we will shoot you dead in the street without even holding a trial and if um, you love trump then please kill as many people as you can right which i think is the broader um will be the broader impact of whatever happens in this trial is like do like our you know fascist white right-wing people emboldened to defend their country Oh, by which not, they mean by which they mean just gun down leftists if they yeah. all feel threatened by them. Oh, I don't I don't think that that's even up in question. The, the next uh, whether whether it's even it might even be like outside of that courtroom. But the next time that there's like a big protest and the next time that it has to do with like some left, right, Black Lives Matter or something like that, there's going to be a lot of proud boys like there with guns ready to instigate some shit yep yeah so. so we shall see but um getting back to some of the details of the trial claims of self-defense abound on both sides in a sense both rittenhouse and gross Cruz, the lone survivor of the shootings are claiming to have defended themselves on trial when he was up on the stand rittenhouse said he reacted to seeing gross Cruz's handgun though he had already shot and killed two people Grosskreutz explained to the court that he had pulled out the handgun because he thought that Rittenhouse was an active shooter. So on both sides, they're talking about defending themselves or defending other people. Rittenhouse claims that the shooting happened because he was cornered by the, several people. The first, the first sh- shooting. Sorry, what happened? The first shooting? Yeah. Okay, Rittenhouse claims the first shooting happened because he was cornered by several protesters, one of whom had a gun. One of his victims, Anthony Huber, pursued him after after the first shooting and struck Rittenhouse in the head and neck with a skateboard before being shot. During his tearful testimony, Rittenhouse claimed one of the victims could have run away instead of trying to take his gun. 
By that logic, if he had felt his life was endangered by the unarmed people he gunned down, couldn't he have just fled? Yeah, and so like it, it does get sort of nebulous where it's like he felt threatened because he was cornered by several protesters, one of whom did have a gun. Um, the person he shot was unarmed, but he felt, you know, he felt scared because he was being closed in on on all sides. And then, you know, you got Anthony Huber, who was killed, who could arguably, you know, Rittenhouse had a gun. So he's acted in self-defense by hitting him in the head and neck with a skateboard. But Rittenhouse, you know, is claiming that he shot him because he was hitting him in the head with a skateboard. Um, and so it just goes back and forth and trying to determine who legally is allowed to defend themselves. Yeah. Um, I, I, the thing that I just, I need to just like completely focus on this case. Cause like I keep, my mind keeps wondering to what is going to happen next time, which then in my head is making this one not seem as bad as it could have been. Because I do think that the next guy, if like, if the next the next Kyle Rittenhouse wannabe is like struck with the skateboard, they're just gonna start emptying off shells into the crowd. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So it's like, I guess like there's a part of me that's like, well, he didn't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like the low expectations. And yeah. Like, oh. The verdict is expected this week, perhaps even before the show airs. And as we've you know made clear up to this point, we're I'm pretty sure. He's gonna get off. I mean, if they're if they're taking away that gun charge, you know, then yeah, I I don't see him facing any consequences for this, unfortunately. So we shall see. Maybe this will air the same day that the verdict is announced, and that will put a very interesting shading on this whole episode that you were listening to. Um, the uh, Mod Aubrey case. Right? Yeah, let's move on to look at a little this a little bit of this. Um, we got Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael, who said they armed themselves and sped after Ahmad Arbery, who was out jogging because they thought he was a burglar. Hmm, I wonder why. And they said they wanted to catch him and hold him, you know, perform a citizen's arrest until the police arrived. Um, when uh, Arbery turned and fought during the chase, um, Travis McMichael says that he shot him in self-defense. So they chased him down, and when he defended himself by allegedly attempting to grab the gun away from Travis McMichael, Travis shot him. But now, Travis, they're saying that they were defending themselves against the man they were chasing Chasing. that was unarmed? I mean, it's it's like literally the Trayvon Martin situation. Precisely, chasing somebody down, and when they defend themselves- You chase somebody, you start a fight, you're getting cooked in the fight so you, you you have a gun so then you shoot them right i feel like you're what you said earlier is is true that this is some the who is the aggressor in the situation is far more clear-cut though we will see ultimately what the jury has yeah. to say and, and and that's all that's all i meant is just like if if the jury like we i mean they've already caught the the original da and fuckery with this case you know what i mean so it's like all, all i mean is if the jury should come back with a bullshit verdict about this i think from a almost you know i mean i think like a general consensus will be like all right that was fuckery we identified that as fuckery you know what i'm saying yeah whereas with the kyle rittenhouse case you know like i said i think there's there's definitely people who are not 
in the tank for MAGA or Kyle Rittenhouse who look at the situation was like, I mean, you know, somebody did like try to hit him or somebody did corner or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's people, you, it's just, it's just a lot easier for people to rationalize the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, I guess, than the Ahmaud Arbery case, which really seems, you know, again, it like really seems like, you know, some 19, like when I first heard this story, it was like, oh man, this is some 1950s, you know? Like civil civil rights era story that you hear about some fucking Southern Yahoos chasing down a black kid. And shit. Well, yeah. So okay. So get this. They cited the citizens' arrest law, which itself was approved in 1863 to round up escaped slaves, and was later used to justify the lynching of black people. So utilizing that as a defense for why they pursued and attacked Armory, Ar- Ar- pursued and attacked Armory, even if they hadn't killed him. It was fucked up. They were using it for exactly what it was meant for. It's like rounding, stalking and shit. Rounding up black people. Um, this is the state law that was on the books at the time. A private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. If the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, a private person may arrest them upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Well, how do you even determine that? So, I mean, let's get at the the committed in his presence, which it wasn't, or within his immediate knowledge, he didn't like. He, which it wasn't. Which it wasn't. Um, anyway. He didn't so see the, the tape. Didn't see the tape. He had heard about burglaries happening in the area, but there was no, like, evidence that it was arbory other than, I guess, the you know, just running while black was enough for them. Yeah. But anyway, the law was appealed, repealed last year, uh, effectively repealed by Governor Brian Kemp. Oh, no, it was earlier this year, actually, um, partially in response to Arbery's killing. But even though the repeal law has taken effect, the defense is still able to cite this old racist law since it was in effect at the time of Arbery's slaying. So, you know, they were invoking it at the time. To sit, to justify their actions, and so they're still able to like bring it up in court as something that would would have been legal in that moment. Oh man, I mean, and there's this cra- like saying that when Travis McMichael raised a shotgun, he was hoping to de-escalate the situation. Yo, and that's what his defense attorney said. But Arbery turned towards him, swinging aggressively with his fists. Like Travis Mc, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. I just like. If you're allowed to invoke self-defense, if you believe that you're going to be killed or like gravely injured, how the fuck is it commensurate to wave a shotgun at someone and just like trying to engage in fucking fisticuffs? Like, because I mean, like, what if what if Ahmad had gotten the gun away from them? And that's their argument. They're starting to make like, oh, well, we defended ourselves because if he had gotten the gun from us, he would have killed me. Well, I mean, that's what, but I mean, I guess that's, that's the point that I'm making. Like, what if he had gotten the gun off of them and, and I think, them? I think, so wouldn't I, that be self-defense? I think for whom? For Ahmaud Arbery. Wouldn't that have been self-defense? For I, I arguably, mean, I mean, in, in the Rittenhouse trial as well, uh, he on the stand, I believe claimed that he shot because he was scared that he was going to have his gun taken away. But I was like, well, but at least motherfucker. But at least with Rittenhouse, like we... You know, at least in his defense, we actually can see like a tape, a videotape of him on the ground, not shooting anybody, being kicked and hit, and then he shoots somebody. 
So, I mean, like I said, whatever the problems are that, at least that you can see. You know what I mean? In this case with the Ahmad Arbery, it's like the you, you're watching the shit like he's the protagonist of the story. So it's like you want him to not die. And the only way that that can happen is if he defends himself and gets the gun off of those guys and kills them. <sighs> yeah, I guess. I don't know. Fucking, oh, man. But anyway, so... Yeah, don't, don't fucking stalk people with... Just don't stalk people shit with guns. shit makes me upset. It does. Yeah. Travis McMichael, his father, Gregory McMichael, and their pal, William Roddy Bryan Jr., are charged with malice and felony murder um, for the killing of Arbery in Brunswick, Georgia, February of last year. They also face charges for aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and a criminal attempt to commit a felony. And they have all pleaded not guilty, though if uh, convicted, each man could face life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, ultimately, the jury the jury will have to consider the moments before the shotgun blast rang out and decide which man was the aggressor and therefore not legitimately acting in self-defense. 12, given, 11. So, yeah, given that 11 of the 12 jurors in what is, a, you know, I'll give it, give them this. It's majority white Glen County. But it's 25% black. So like 11 yeah. out of 12 it's not a purport not representative no, no. black yeah like, so while it makes a lot it's well it does seem a lot more clear cut to us how 11 of the 12 jurors are white in south georgia bro and his, def- his defense lawyer is wild and i don't know if y'all have heard about this but okay so ahmaud aubrey's family met with uh al sharpton right yeah. And the defense attorney was making a big deal about that because he was like, yeah, man, Al Sharpton is intimidating, blah, 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 the jury, blah, blah, blah. Then Jesse Jackson came to visit. And, like, the defense attorney was straight up like, I think we've had enough black pastors involved in this situation here. Oh, my God. No, oh, my God. Blacks pastors. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know. At least, like I said, it would be one thing. That's just the defense attorney. So the defense attorney is going to defend their client and shit like that. But they're going to do whatever. They're going to pull all the stops. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to pull all the stops. And let's not forget that the McMichaels and Brian were not even uh, charged at first. In fact, in August, a grand jury indicted former Glen County District Attorney Jackie Johnson accusing her of showing favor and affection to one of the men now charged with Arbery's killing and for directing police officers not to arrest another suspect. So pretty much like burying the tape that we have all now seen and saying like, oh, no, they're free to go. It's cool. And I hate that I forget this, but did this not did this only come to light? Because I know it happened before. Uh, right. So Floyd. so Arbery was killed in February and I think in March, right around when Brianna Taylor's killing kind of blew up. Also belatedly is when the tape of, yeah, Amon getting shot came out and people started losing their shit. So yeah, like, like they were, they were, I mean, there's a, there's a good chance that if George Floyd hadn't died, then this, we never would even- This trial might not even be happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah like the, that never even would have been a thing. Yeah, speaking of which, so like, um, you know, but going back to Breonna Taylor, 
uh, Walker was her boyfriend was charged immediately with attempted murder of a police officer. And the charges were only dropped after months of advocacy and national media attention, much like how the McMichaels were only arrested and brought to trial because of huge public pressure. And so if we have to mount historic collective action just to get the justice system to do what it is supposed to do, what in the literal fuck is it for? Just think on that. Just wonder. We'll give you time. Yeah. Consider, okay, consider the killing of DeMarcus Carter in Summerlin, Nevada in the spring of 2012. A resident of a majority white neighborhood suspected Carter of trying to break in and shot and killed Carter, who was unarmed. The killer claimed self-defense and his claim was never evaluated by a jury because police and prosecutors saw the claim of self-defense as strong enough not to even warrant a charge. Killer told police that he saw Carter outside his back door, believed Carter was breaking into his home, shot him dead. And unlike the death of Trayvon Martin in Florida only a month earlier, Carter's death received very little media coverage and none of the coverage raised any questions about the validity of the killer's self-defense claim. And so I bring this up because I feel like this happens a lot more often than we realize. But oh, like, yeah. just for sure. I mean, most of the names that we say today were taken in the name self-defense, albeit by police officers. So, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Jordan Eric Davis, Gardner, Jordan Davis, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Botham Jean, Stephen Clark, Laquan McDonald. The list goes on and on. Now, um, there was a case recently where a man, I do believe that this one was in Florida, but a guy got convicted of murder because he uh, some teens broke into his house and he killed them. Oh, yeah. But investigators were able to go back and pretty much essentially see that he created a, what they described as like a deer trap, pretty much. Oh, what the fuck? For these kids to walk into. Yo, like, with what? With bait and everything. They've got recordings of him, like, talking to them, like, as they died, which is which pretty much what sealed his fate is how they know that it was premeditated. But that he was actually... Dark. He, he tried to He tried to give a self-defense stand your ground thing, but they were just able to see with his elaborate Home Alone style, like, trap that it was premeditated. Never. Yo, that's so insane. I heard her, I had heard about that story. I didn't realize that. Like, God damn. Yeah. Deer it got trap. even, that's got even darker. Trap. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, so, getting into a bit of thinking about like, particularly, law, right? yeah, particularly like with the Ahmaud Arbery case. Um, I read this article recently by Eddie Rolnick in the Cardozo Law Review, which maps the relationships between residential segregation, violence and criminal law. So, like, effectively, in a sense, the McMichaels were enforcing what they believed to be. I mean, they were enforcing re residential segregation. It's no longer a matter of redlining or, you know, discriminatory home loans or uh, restrictive covenants saying who can't live in certain houses. It, all of that got wiped out, supposedly. So now, like, there's a lot of cases like with DeMarcus. What's his name? Sorry. DeMarcus Carter, like with... Uh, Ahmad Arbery, where you have people, you know, invoking self-defense to violently and, you know, enforce who is and who is not allowed to be in certain areas. And Rolnick says, while the laws governing stranger self-defense are facially race neutral, 
Self-defense is assessed only according to whether the defendant's fear is reasonable to the reviewing prosecutor, judge, and jury. Research on unconscious bias and cultural myths about criminality demonstrate that fear is racially contingent. One factor that can support both subjective and objective assessments of threat is whether a person looks out of place, making a black person in a white neighborhood even more likely to be the object of fear. The laws create a framework that legitimizes white fear of strangers who look racially out of place and condones violence based on that fear. The framework in turn helps normalize neighbor-on-neighbor surveillance, police state, Even if a person is not actually threatened or afraid, she can invoke the framework of fear-based racial out-of-placeness and can expect the police or the jury will be sympathetic. And so I I feel like this relates to the case of that bird watcher in Central Park or wherever, where the lady, the white lady calls the cops on him because like, what are black bird watchers? I think of in my own neighborhood, um, this gentleman who I ran into the gas station who tearfully de- you know, described having lived on the street, down the street from my old house, um, who was out walking with his walking stick. And someone called the cops on him because they thought he had a weapon. And he got surrounded by cop cars in the neighborhood where he had always grown up, where he'd always lived. Um, but that is gentrifying. And so, you know, white people coming in and making claims to these spaces and using, you know, racial out of placeness um, to invoke either state violence or in themselves using violence in order to enforce um, the new segregation. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it. And I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, this all comes back to some fundamental questions. Can Black Americans exercise their Second Amendment right to bear arms? Can we stand our ground? Can we claim self-defense in shooting someone who threatens us with physical harm? Does the Castle Doctrine, which grants a person the right to use deadly force to protect their home from an intruder, apply to us? I mean, obviously the answer is no. Um, At least not fully, or at least uh, whatever. I mean, whatever it is, it's not a definitive yes uh, to any of those questions. I think that if you look at the criminal justice system as a cascade of, like, decision points, um, I think that at various ones along that, in, in that, in that waterfall that it's, you know, that terminates in imprisonment, there, the answer is no. So whether or not a prosecutor decides to pull it, you know, um, press charges, In the case of Demarcus Carter, they didn't even choose to press charges against the man who killed him. Um, But you bet your ass, a lot of fucking black people are getting prosecuted for crimes that others aren't even, or just walking away with murder. Um, Then there's getting to trial. And then you, what if you have an all white, like 11 out of 12 of your jurors are white. Um, If you don't have great legal representation because you can't afford it. And at that point, you know, they just, someone can easily decide and more often than not decide, no, you weren't allowed. Um, Not to mention, just like your initial interaction with the cops, the cops like, you know, in the case of Ahmaud Arbery, who showed up to the scene and the guy, you know, one of the McMichaels was a former police officer. They probably also thought it was sketchy that there was a black guy jogging in a white neighborhood. And we're like, well, free to go. So at so, all these various points, the answer so, um, is generally no. And if it's not no at the, you know, if it's not no at the end, it's still no in the middle or no at the beginning or no at some point. No. What do you think about the, like, uh, the common denominator in all of these situations, which is guns and people owning them and perhaps being a bit too overzealous with them? I have complicated feelings about guns. And we've talked about this on the show before, where gun control laws are historically racist as well. Again, determining, you know, who can and cannot bear arms. Not being uh, applied 
uniformly uh, across the races. So any attempts to bar certain bar people from owning guns, ultimately, I don't know, disproportionately impacting honestly folks that need them. Um, Cause I well, think I- guns will always exist around. Um, I'll get, I'll, you know, go ahead and get to the story. Um, the other day I was out in like the hood near my house and me and a couple other dudes were like out uh, just greeting kids as they got on the school bus because there'd been a lot of fighting on the school bus um, lately. So we were just like talking to them, hyping them up for their day, da 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 da. And so as I'm walking around this like uh, housing project with this dude, he told me a story of his brother who had served a lengthy jail sentence for drug dealing, had been out in the streets, getting in fights with people. He was a big kingpin, people knew him, he had a lot of enemies got out of jail he's a felon so he couldn't have um couldn't you know own a couldn't own a gun anymore shot and killed by rivals on the day that he left jail so the people who live in i mean like okay i guess you could say oh well if you take all the guns off the street then people aren't shooting each other well there'd be a legal market for anything always and so saying certain kinds of people can't have guns like felons who do live in, in dangerous and violent areas or have da- dangerous and violent connections, they can't defend themselves if they can't get guns. Well, I mean, I don't want to make the conversation stray too far into guns and stuff like that. Because yeah, we'll circle back around to that. But I will, I just feel like, man, you know, every time the gun stuff comes up, it's like, I just feel like if, if the government, whoever is in power, like really felt to themselves like tomorrow all right this gun stuff is out of control then i just feel like it would be really hard to get a hold of a gun like if they wanted you to you know i don't understand how people see all these fucking wild ass conspiracies for like everything but then the fact that it's just like there there aren't any there's like barely any gun laws and there's like just guns are just flowing through the country like skittles like every like everyone like looks at that like ah there's there's no conspiracy there that that's definitely not they want us all to kill each other like 100 that's not that's not what's happening you know what there i mean be, there could be an element of that i don't know that's i really, I really thought about, about it from that through that lens very much but yeah, i'm sorry to digress it's all good. Um, we, di- we digress real hard. But let's get into, let's jump down and talk a little bit about a couple of famous stories from hip hop. Is this uh, going to be technically the music discussion? No, we got a couple okay. songs for y'all at the end. But okay. um, first, there's the story of Shine, who was a Belizean born rapper Ooh. on Diddy's label in the 1990s. You remember him? Yeah, I remember Shine. Yeah, so last year he opened up on the Fat Joe show uh, about his 1999 club shooting. Um, Diddy and Shine were at a nightclub in Manhattan. And they spotted some other rappers with whom they had a little bit of beef. Uh, their interaction was fine at first, but then it turned into an argument. And Shine thought he saw one of the other main men reach for a gun. So he reached for his and began firing, to arguably to defend himself and his friends. Shine told Fat Joe he feared for his life and to this day maintains that he did what he had to do to protect his people. Diddy and Shine were tried in separate trials. Uh, I guess like, I don't know, did he, I can't remember if he was like assaulted the guy, if like hands got thrown or just yelling. But needless to say, Diddy had the best lawyers and was ultimately acquitted of all charges. Shine, on the other hand, was found guilty on two counts of assault, reckless endangerment and gun possession. 
and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. It was later, actually, when he got out, deported to his home country of Belize. And in a random turn of events that is weirdly relevant to the show, Shine was elected to the Belizean House of Representatives in the yeah. 2020 general election. I'm trying Happy to look ending at, to the story. I'm trying to look it up now, but, you know, I, I think Shine might have hit somebody in the club. Did he? I think I, I think he hit a girl. I, I don't know that for, for certain, but I just know that he got 10 years for a reason. Oh, like, oh, he shot. No, I don't think he killed I mean, anyone. no, not like, not like. Got- you don't. Nobody got hit. At I that? don't think anybody got hurt. No, we just nobody shot, and people started running, and so. Okay. Because if it it would have been like homicide or some shit, if he killed somebody for sure. Yeah, I don't think anybody died. I don't think anybody died. I could have swore that somebody got hit. Like. Hey, maybe, foot. maybe. I go. I don't remember exactly, but. Yeah, um. I mean, yeah. To this day, he says he, you know, had to do what he had to do, even though he was convicted and served ten years in prison. Yeah, I mean. What, what do you think about it? Like, how, well, what do you I think, think that I think that if, if um, I'm never in favor should. of people busting off in the crowds. I'm just not. I'm just fact. That's I'm, fact. If you're I'm, if you're in a crowd of people, maybe don't start shooting. Yeah, um, I'm just always gonna frown on that, man. I just I don't like. I, I hate I hate that whole notion of people thinking that their shit is more important. What they got going on is more important than everybody else's shit and then when it leads to people getting like shot or hit by your drunk driving so you know what i mean like i just don't like that sort of shit so yeah uh, i mean i can't i think yeah yeah i mean especially the reckless endangerment charge like even if he was defending himself those people who were in the club that started running for their lives didn't do shit Exactly. They had they nothing do, to do with do what shit. your beef was at all. And yeah. if, and if if I'm if I'm you know I could if I'm wrong I'm sorry. But if I'm not wrong and somebody did get shot, even if it was in the baby toe, that baby toe would have been there had your ass not started popping off. So fact. You know what I mean? Um, and we can't forget the biggest crime that came out of that, which is that you made fucking J Lo realize she was hanging around street niggas and her and Diddy broke up. How, right? uh, that's the true crime here. <laughs> the fuck, man. <laughs> she was like, nah, this love cost a thing. I'm out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's. Woo, you're crazy for that one. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about TI next. Uh, rubber Band Man. All right. So, T.I., who infamously got arrested by the ATF agents at the 2007 BET Hip Hop Awards, Tip was caught trying to buy machine guns, silencers, and other arms that he was, con- uh, that he, um, and other arms, as he was a convicted felon, couldn't legally acquire them. The rapper argued that the guns were for protection in the light of the murder of his best friend, Philant Johnson who in 2006 was gunned down in a van he and T.I. were riding in after a performance in Cincinnati. So, I mean, there's like, despite, okay, so he's a felon, he can't have guns, but he has like a legit reason to be afraid of his life if his best friend just got fucking murdered in front of him a year before. But no, you can't defend yourself because you got, you're a felon, so you can't have guns, so we're gonna pick you up at the BET Awards. Kind of whack. I don't know. It's whack. It's uh, I I I just wish that these stories were just more clear cut. Why was Ti buying silencers? He was scared. Silencers though, like silencers aren't. I'm scared for my life. 
silencers, I'm coming to get you, nigga. That's <laughs> again. Maybe okay. I'm just getting hung up on that one detail. And yeah, you know, like stop, bad back. I don't want to get hung up on that one detail. But the story just hits me different if I'm reading T.I. was afraid for his life because his friend got killed and the cops went and picked him up while he was trying to buy machine guns. Then I'm like, oh, have man, you ever yo, bought something? Have you ever bought something unnecessary because it made you feel better? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, and so I. I'm not saying he was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, drop them like you know, like real quiet. Nobody's gonna know. It's just like amassing. What I would agree is an obscene, obscene amount of weaponry, out of out of fear. Just like I want all the shit. Give me all the shit. Give me all the machine guns. Give me all the silencers. I'll give me all the shit because I'm terrified. Now, is there do is there nothing that is is there no aspect of their fame or perhaps how we feel about them as celebrities that might be influencing some of our views on that? Oh, absolutely, I'm biased as hell. Because I just mean if Larry the Cable Guy, <laughs> poor Larry the Cable Guy, I keep bringing him up in these analogies, but I feel like if Larry the Cable Guy got pulled over at the Country Music Awards. With a pickup truck filled with fucking infrared beams and silencers and scopes and machine guns. We would never hear I about would it. Be, yeah, the police would dap him up that's and fucking let him go, is what we I'm saying. But the, the, and that's fucked up on the police end. But I want to know about that because I'm like, damn, you know what? I don't like the idea of this rich fucking dude buying all these guns to circulate back in whatever fucking poor communities from I because I, I just I don't know but I mean again that's what that's my bias you know just trying to give full disclosure that could be my bias of like not believing that you know people need 37 guns to defend themselves yeah and maybe just like four maybe just like four <laughs> speaking of defending yourself once again we talked a little bit about Trayvon earlier but there's another um, somewhat infamous case of someone invoking the Florida Stand Your Ground law um, when in 2014 Jordan da- Davis got into a confrontation with a white man at a gas station in Florida who said Davis's rap music was too loud and ultimately fired shots into Davis's car killing him the man claimed he thought Davis had a gun but the killer was eventually convicted of murder and it was kind of beautiful. It was forgiven in court by Davis's mother who went on to become a gun control advocate and then successfully run for Congress in Georgia's some district. I forgot. Seventh. Nope. Eighth. Nope. I don't remember. <laughs> She's in Congress now doing some shit. She's getting that Bloomberg money and shit. Go, go get your paper, boo boo. But, um, so but she like the a gun, gun control. Advocate. Oh yeah. She was like all with, you know, what's their names? Um, you know those, yeah. you the know, Parkland kids. No, nah, those, 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 you know, it's mostly white ladies. What's what are they called? Oh, the um, the, the I know what you're talking about like moms against moms, men. moms demand action. Moms demand action. Yeah. Issues with them, yeah. And so, I, I think it's important, though. I mean, I, I don't even know if I want to say I think the advocacy is important, but it's just like. You know, even in that situation, you got the racial situation. You got the, but at the end of the day, a fucking idiot who had a gun, yeah, was the was the thing. And it's just like you can you can you can change the scenario. You can change the races of genders of everybody. Like you can do everything. It just it all comes down to 
somebody having a gun that shouldn't have a gun and that being the issue like that's a fucking who should have guns that that's a that's a like an old white dude getting cussed out at the gas station who should have guns i don't i don't know like these, you know, obviously, I don't have the book the fucking answers as to who should be allowed to have the guns or, or stuff like that. But obviously, you know, in a country that's as big as this one, um, in a country that's as obsessed with like celebrity and notoriety and, and fame as the one that we live into, you know, I'm not saying who should have it or who shouldn't, but it's just like. Obviously, this shit is meeting tragic results at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's just too many people dying needlessly from this shit. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, it, it, it obviously, there's, there's, there's way broader discussions to be had. There's way more specific and nuanced discussions to be had about it. But again, you know, it's like just, just this case, we, we could, we could talk about that, that situation with Jordan Davis and we could get into like, a real deep, interesting, meaningful racial conversation, right? And 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 we can we can get into all these conversations out of this, but the one conversation that like is irrefutable is a dude somebody had a gun that like obviously wasn't responsible for it because like if you own a gun and you're capable of like getting into an argument with somebody, an argument, and then that makes you shoot them. Then you shouldn't have had it. How about that? It's like those are the people that shouldn't have a gun. I don't know, man. It's nuanced and shit. We'll do a whole episode on this sometime. Yeah. But for now, let's I'm, get so, to I'm the sorry. Fun I didn't take us off. I didn't no, no, no. You're good. Let's get into the music discussion. Got a couple Ooh, okay. great songs let's, for let's, y'all let's, this uh, week. let's take a little break before we do that. Huh? Okay, okay. Let's do it. All right. We'll be back right after the jump with the music discussion. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you 
sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back before I rudely cut off Mariah. My bad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into the music discussion. Uh, First up, talking about self-defense from Dilated Peoples off the album Expansion Team. Let's play a little bit of this real quick. What the fuck could have provoked you? We don't know each other, kid, and I did not insult you. Don't make me feed the fish, feed the trees. What I find interesting about particularly the first verse is he seems, Rocka seems to be like describing like an altercation, a physical altercation. I'm like, oh, what could have provoked you? Don't make me feed the fish, feed the trees, feed the vultures. Talking about, you know, responding with violence. But then he gets into, a block flows with strikes and strikes with blows. A slice flows with my mic, it shows. A counterattack and turn the tables in an instant. Move out of range and step close and step into the, oh wait. Move out of range and step into the distance. Something like that. So it's actually, it morphs into seeming like he's using his verbal prowess to, in essence, de-escalate a conflict through moving it from physical uh, altercation into a verbal, artistic even one, which I think was what a part of what um, like freestyle was initially meant to do of like, I right, you got beef with somebody, um, bring, it, bring it to the cypher. Like, all right, let's battle, talk shit. Don't shoot each other. Just come up here and just like, you know, Talk smack about their mama or whatever. Well, I mean, uh, you know, forget the guns, but just like you know, in our in, in America, the, there's a lot of people who are who walk around like that just accept that like using violence is like an actual like way to solve problems. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, I think something like with with just the whole theme of the song is is kind of like how unnecessary that is you know what i mean and i think that's what he's kind of what that that's what that section means to me where it's like there's more there's there's better ways to settle differences and to 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 prove yourself or like there's there's better ways to make yourself get the one up on somebody and it's not necessarily like yo I'm gonna beat the shit out of him or I'm gonna fucking shoot him or get into a fight or something like that like 
you know, we're like thinking, breathing human beings that can do more than just like the fucking base level shit. I'm going to go on somewhat of a tangent, but it matters. So I've been studying lately, and I may have brought this up on the show, sort of the way that gun violence has been come to has come to be seen by public health experts as a as an epidemic and not just like oh in the sense of gun violence adversely impacts people's health because they're getting fucking shot but actually starting to think about violence as a virus so when you're exposed to violence you then contract it and then you spread it to other people by letting your trauma manifest in more violence against others and so taking that framing and you know the way that uh, the we publicly have come to understand viruses throughout the pandemic think about all right how do you how do you stop the spread of this virus um you like de- you interrupt and de-escalate conflicts and also change norms around conflict resolution so getting out in the community and maybe getting us back to a place where we are using verbal jousting to sort of inject levity into our conflicts by like, all right, let's have a rap battle. Bringing us back to that rather than the place we are now where gun violence is almost fetishized. Yeah, and like, like and it's, it's, it's gonna be so hard. I mean, especially from like a hip hop standpoint to get back to that because like, I remember when you could listen to you could listen to like a gangster rapper who talking about drive-bys and blah, blah, blah. But even even then, like you would hear like lines about how like, yo, we can put the guns down and I'll beat your ass. You know what I mean? And it's like now, I mean, I, there's like two references in particular from like notable big rappers in songs where they're like, yeah, fuck that fight and shit. We just going to kill you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, like that's the flex. And it's, it's yeah. just... You know, it's, it's shit like that to make a motherfucker feel like, damn, am I like 67? Because that feels like super new, new. Like, what? That's what that's what we're talking about? Like, motherfuckers is like literally rapping about how they're scared to fight and they would rather just shoot you. Yeah. Another um, another norm shifting experiment that I read about recently. And if you give me a second, I'm going to try to oh, yeah, go ahead. actually bring up the details. Oh, this this thing called Guns Down Squabble Up in Los Angeles, where when people there's like, oh, yo, I heard so and so is going to like come over and spray your spot. They go get the people and bring them to a place to box and have like a public boxing match between folks that are beefing as a way to settle disputes without resorting to, to picking up guns. Because it's like you ain't like it's really it's kind of hard to kill a nigga by just like punching him in the head a lot. I mean, you can do it, but particularly if like a bunch of people are standing around watching y'all like fight, you know, you can like determine, oh shit, like this person won and walk away from it with if, nobody killed. Yeah, I mean, if, if like fights had any, if fights had any sort of like, you know, alarming rate of like people dying in like fist fights and scraps and altercations, then like, yeah, half the population would be dead right now. So it's like, from at least that standpoint, if two people get upset about each other for whatever reason, for whatever reason, even if the, even if it's like, oh man, I hate you, I'm gonna grab this bat and come at you. It's just factually a less efficient way to kill someone. 
So yeah. the chances are that somebody's not going to die. Somebody might get hurt. Somebody might get seriously injured and wounded. Like, you know, so it's like just it's not like an issue for like the conservative straw mans of like, oh, what about a knife? And you could kill like, yeah, you can kill somebody with anything. But it's like what makes it easier for you to kill someone like, you know, and I know we're, I feels like we're getting a little bit away from the topic of self-defense of the episode. Oh, yeah. I think this still matters because if somebody if somebody kills your family member and you wonder if you're next and you decide to go get them first in retaliation, it is in essence a, a kind of self-defense in that you fear for your life because of, you know, like surviving a shooting attempt or losing someone. And so figuring out how we resolve these resolve these squabbles without resorting to gun violence is still also addressing the question of how do we defend ourselves but with the self-defense i mean the even even the notion of self-defense in america as we understand it is something that's a derivative of our fear of guns you know what i'm saying like the the dude who set up the deer trap thing that i was talking about yeah, that was premeditated murder, but like it was premeditated murder that he was like, it was a plot that he cooked up because he figured, man, if somebody breaks into your house, then I can acceptably say I feared for my life because they might have had a gun and been able to harm me, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, like that's what it's all comes. If two people are getting a fight, like, like uh, Zimmer Zimmerman. And, and uh, Trayvon Martin getting into a fight, Zimmerman being like, I feared for my life. Like, he can say that, and on one hand, it's like, oh, okay, well, he's fighting this guy, so he thought that the guy was gonna get the upper hand. But then the other thing that goes into the mind of a jury that could acquit somebody like that is like, oh, well, I mean, it's America, and there's three million guns out there, so maybe he thought that the person had a gun. And then that's a reasonable fear that he had. When cops pull people over and shoot them willy-nilly, it's because, the because you know, not, again, not giving any benefit of the doubt to cops, but, I mean, one thing that cops can definitely have in their head that's a fact is, like, A, anybody you pull over might have a gun. That's just a fact because by the nature of the country that we live in. So, you know, I think, like, even though we are trying, you know, I don't want to get us too far off of the self-defense thing, and this is about self-defense, I think that, that the gunplay in America definitely feeds into that yeah because like everybody's got self-defense laws and are just like ready for self-defense all the time yeah but let's get into this next song quando rondo's end of story so chicago rapper king von was shot and killed outside a nightclub in atlanta back in when was it october 2020 i believe um allegedly after an altercation with quando rondo and his crew so now, um, or since then, uh, Quando Rondo seems to have told his side of the story in his song, End of Story. So let's listen to it real quick. Down right, we screaming self-defense. He shouldn't have never put his hands on. Look the foot, that's all the evidence. See them pussy niggas shut the brain up on. Who the fuck's... So he, you know, he starts off accusing fans for acting like the police. Um, he says, nowadays, it's like the fans doing the police job. Y'all talk that gangster shit, but cry when a nigga get knocked. You post a walk it how you talk it, but shit, I still ain't got my point across. So he's sort of like talking about people who, you know, were calling him out and, you know, 
yo, I'm just like, yo, you kill a nigga. Um, or, you know, being snitches, in essence. Um, he goes on. These guys really don't understand the concept of snitching and what it means. <laughs> they, they, they use the word snitches like conservatives use cancel culture and wokeness. They just throw that shit around for anything. Like, all right. Yeah. Um, he goes on, he references Timothy Leakes, who was charged with felony murder in King Vaughn's death. Um, you know, defending him, saying, you know, we had to make it home. Uh, you know, I'm riding with little Timmy, right or wrong, and stuff like that. So saying pretty much that his friend who was charged with the murder of this other rapper was just defending them. Um, he goes on, the, the, the next part, he actually encourages people to look right at... Or wrong? I'm riding with... Little Timmy riding right or wrong, I think is what he says. So even whether... So I'm translating that as whether or not he was justified in killing the guy in the fight or not. He was riding with his dog. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's valid. Um, and then he, he uh, encourages people to look at the surveillance camera footage, okay. um, which appears to show King Vaughn initiating the conflict. Um, he goes, he's damn right. We scream in self-defense. Shouldn't have never put his hands on me. Look at the footage. That's all evidence. See them pussy niggas. Shouldn't have ran up on me. Um, so again, alleging self-defense, saying that the other guy was the aggressor and they just try to protect themselves. I mean, it's, it's going to be along the lines of what I was saying before, um, all throughout this, which is like. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's all stupid shit, but, like, I would have much rather that this had just been a fight between some rappers. Well, I think what ends up happening is that one person isn't around to argue their side of the whether fence. or not they were the aggressor. And that's what happened when, remember when we covered the baby case, his shooting yeah. thing that he had years ago? is the same sort of situation where it's like... You, you only hear one side of the story and I'm walking around for years thinking, oh, okay, this is part of the legend of the baby. And then you find out, not even you find out, but it's just like you look more into the story. And it's like, oh, no, that person who died had a mother and a brother and a sister and witnesses of their own who all saw some different shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, like, it's just it just it, it just really fucking makes me angry that like this can't just be a, a Jerry Springer situation where like one crew says we didn't start it and this crew says we didn't start it and a couple dudes got a fat lip and another guy has like a broken wrist or something like that and everybody went to booking and now they're outside beefing with each other on the internet and yada yada like I would much rather it be that than oh man you shouldn't have fucked you shouldn't have touched me now it's time to cap like yeah and, and, and again like, homie might have been fearing for his life. Homie probably was fearing for his life. The reason he was fearing for life is because he didn't know whether those motherfuckers had guns. Yeah. Um, the last song I want to talk about is, I think, I mean, like, a classic. Only God Can Judge Me by oh, Tupac, okay. off of All Eyes on Me in 1996. In particular, this one line, and I think... The was it the first verse? Well, let's, let's let's do it real quick. Point ain't no such thing as self defense in the court of law. So, judges, when we get to where we're going, we're in the cross. That's real. So, on the third verse, rapping for Trey says, 
Um, ain't no such thing as self-defense in the court of law. So judges, when we get to where we're going, wearing a cross, starts off by saying, what, what's he say? Oh yeah, would you be wrong for bucking the nigga to the pavement? You gonna get me first. So um, if I don't get him full, start praying. Um, which I just thought, I just had that sec, the, uh, the part where he says, you know, ain't no such thing as self-defense in the court of law. So judges, when we get to where we were in the cross, it's kind of a reversal of the line that, you know, people say I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Sort of implying since there's no justice in the cr- system of criminal justice and judgment can only come in the afterlife, you might as well fucking pull guns because if you die, you actually get judged fairly versus if you go to court. Yeah. <laughs> Which is well, so bleak. Which is so it's, bleak. It's ill because, like, uh, I mean, you know, Tupac had a very very notable self-defense case that he actually got got off on on the grounds of self-defense when he shot two police officers mm-hmm. who were you know i mean i guess if we're talking self-defense they were unlawfully trying to harm him and he had yeah. to defend himself and he shot them um Oh, speaking of shooting cops, Bob Marley's "I Shot the Sheriff." Oh yeah, I almost forgot not, this one. So not a hip hop song, but not a hip hop song, but nonetheless very influential. Um, this is the third track on side one of his 1973 album "Burning," and I didn't know this before. The song's actually apparently about birth control. Really? Did you know this? No. no. Okay, what? so Jamaican filmmaker and actress Esther Anderson, who was once Marley's girlfriend said she helped Marley write the song and said the line in which Marley sings about Sheriff John Brown hating him and always wanting to kill the seeds he planted was about Marley being against her use of birth control during their relationship. Really? Supposedly. But according to Marley in writing the song, he wanted to use the phrase, I shot the police, but instead use, I shot the sheriff because he thought it'd be less inflammatory. He thought that, you know, the authorities would have created a fuss if he'd said, I shot the police. So we decided to use the other phrase to avoid unnecessary issues. So like he was like, I mean, there there may have been a metaphor implanted there and planted um, about, you know, some other relationship shit. But I mean, ultimately, the song is, I think, remembered as. No, you that's know. dope. <laughs> that's. I mean, I'm not saying that's dope. I just mean like that trivia is dope. I, I it's had a little, no it's idea. piece of trivia, if true, if true, you know. But yeah, that's all we got for this week. Wasn't there? Wasn't there a rap version? Was there a rap version? I feel like Warren G. Hold up, let me. Yep, yep, yep. Warren G. Did one. Oh, yeah. let me hear hey, that real quick. Can, let me. Can we can we add an amendment to this? All right, can yeah. We, can we add a, another song here? I'm about to post the link in the thing. Okay. Here, check this. Out. Oh, I remember the shit. No, you know what? We don't even got it. I'm sorry. I, I'm going all over the place right now. But like, we forgot literally the most famous hip hop song about self defense. Yeah. Warren G's Regulators. Oh shit! Like Warren G's Regulators is literally about self-defense. <laughs> Goddamn! Literally about self-defense. You know what? This is—it's too many, and we have been going for a long time. It's too many songs. Just check out the playlist on the uh, Dope Knife Spotify, and you guys can check out uh, all the songs that we had listed on today, and some of the other ones that didn't make the cut, and also past episodes and stuff like that. But um, 
Yeah, I can't believe it. I didn't even think about that shit for some. Like, I'm so mad at myself because that should have been the first thing that I said when you said that we should do an episode on self-defense. Man, I'm slipping. Slipping. Anyway, you know what doesn't ever slip? The raps. The bars. They never do. They, they never, never do. do. Joe, my good sir. Can you give us a beat? Feeling like brother Malcolm when I'm peeking through the blinds Trying to peer around the street to see who's creeping in the ride But if it's one of them, I ain't gonna freak and run the hide I'm finna fight them out of eye until the weaker one has died And this is why I ain't sleeping in the night I was thinking that I might have to keep them in my sight And defend my castle from trigger happy assholes in the pinch But I'd rather be judged by 12 and carried by 6 Hey, I'm a <laughs> knife Lingua Franca Just waiting on reparations Like, share, subscribe, bitches See you next week Peace. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. 
For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.